Deep in the heart of Appalachia, guys set on a quest to create the greatest podcast. Uh, sorry, dude. I thought we agreed on the correct pronunciation of Appalachia. No, dude. We, we've talked about this. We've talked about this over and over and over. It's, it's pronounced Appalachia. Listen, freaking angels and the women got together. That's how we got Bigfoot. That's how we got vampires. That's why we got all of this stuff. These ancient Appalachian mountains that are literally older than bones. There's old entities here. You start finding out more about them, they start finding out more about you. Good Lord, sir. (laughs) This goose has gone rabbit. You think you're just going to run up with your little sword on the king of the goose squad? Listen, the old entities of Middle Appalachia are unexplainable. Mm. They are eerie. Breach. And they are one of these things that will keep us, the hill folks, and the people who live in the area constantly searching for answers. Mm that they probably will never, ever find. And this is why we love Appalachian Intelligence. Hey there, Hill folk, and welcome back to another episode of Appalachian Intelligence. I'm so glad that you guys could join us here again for another week. Uh, It's just Justin today. You guys just have me. I apologize for that. I know that Ryan and Lance have the fan clubs out there, and – I'm just more of the moderator, and I'm cool with that. I'm totally fine as long as you guys keep listening in. Uh, but today, I'm not just going to be talking to myself. I'm not talking to a wall. Uh, I have a really special guest on here today. Um, this guy is an author of a few books. I'm thinking five, possibly helping with a couple more now at this point. Uh, he's appeared on dozens of programs, including one of my favorites, Coast to Coast AM. And is regularly regularly invited to speak at paranormal conferences about his books. Uh, he's contributed to Robbie Graham's 2017 essay collection, UFOs, Reframing the Debate, as well as David Weatherly's 2018 collection, Wood Knocks, Volume 3. He's also appeared on the hit History Channel television show, Ancient Aliens. So uh, got a movie star here for you guys today. Uh, he's a recurring guest on the Where Did the Road Go? and maintains an online presence at his website, which is joshuacutchin.com. So today, we have the man, the myth, the legend, Joshua Cutchin. Joshua, how are you, brother? I'm doing great. That was a very warm intro. Yeah, all all 18 seconds of me on Ancient Aliens. But (laughs) hey, it counts. It counts. That goes in the bio, right? That that definitely counts. It definitely counts. If I was on Ancient Aliens um, in a vehicle driving by, when production was going on, <laughs> I'm going to put it in my resume. Yeah. Well, that was, that's, that's its own story and rabbit hole of what happened, but it was, it really was a, a very uh, lovely experience. And I, uh, I got to meet Whitley Strieber who was there the same day. Um, so, and you know, it was just, I just, my ideas about a lot of these things are pretty unorthodox, I think, <laughs> uh, compared to, you know, rank and file cryptozoologists or, or UFO people. So, um, that's probably why there's just 18 seconds of me, but you know, counts. So well, that definitely counts. Definitely counts. Uh, well, Josh, I've been, I've been reaching out to you for a little while now and just so happened when I began reaching out to you to come on the show because of listening to 
uh, past interviews that you had done, I was really interested with your work. I was really interested with your take um, into the paranormal, into that that world of the weird, uh, especially your take on on the fairy lore and the fae folk and all of that. I was really intrigued with all that. So when I began reaching out to you, I didn't know it, but at the time you were working on a new book that is now released. You've had a little more time on your hands now, and that book is. <laughs> The Ecology of Souls, Volumes 1 and 2. And as I understand, there's also a companion book with that. So uh, if you want to, man, we'll dive right in. We'll let you uh, tell the listeners, the, the, the audience out there, a little bit about the book. Um, I've, been, I've been reading right now. I've, uh, well, I'm not going to lie. I was about three, four chapters in and then realized, crap, I'm interviewing this dude in just a couple of days. I'm <laughs> yeah, going to have to, I'm going to have to start hitting some key points here. So I did a lot of skimming around, but I'll have to say what I have read, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy. It brings about a lot of, a lot of thoughts and a lot of areas that I've never even really looked, looked into or, or thought about that. A lot of, for me, a lot of Huh, moments to really sit and reflect on. So if you would like to, uh, you can talk about, you know, just tell them a little bit about your background, about the book, about your your past books. This is your time to shine. You go, and whenever I got a question, I'll jump in, brother. Okay, so we'll have a, a, a one question in the last five minutes, right? Because we're just going to go on and on over here. Um, well, uh, I, I suppose if you really wanted to sort of dig down into how all this started with me. Um, I grew up in a household where discussion of these topics wasn't, uh, wasn't frowned upon. We were a Christian household, but we still talked about ghosts and Bigfoot and UFOs and such. Um, but I was, you know, I was, I was a monster kid, right? So like King Kong and, you know, the alien films and the predator films and all that stuff um, was just a real touchstone for me. And I was, you know, always checking out uh, books on the weird stuff in the school library and then flash forward to uh, my first uh, office job, and there was a heavy commute, and I really got involved in paranormal podcasts and listening to those to make the time pass a little bit faster. Um, which really, I mean, the paranormal podcast community does so much for the community now. I mean, it's I can't think of another community where you know fans and and researchers and enthusiasts and people who are just you know people who would just be sort of sequestered in their own little corner, not really publishing or not really discussing actually have a chance to come out and shine. So it's, it's such an awesome thing that y'all do. Um, uh, I really think it's like the lifeblood of this community in a lot of ways, but uh, I digress. Um, I stumbled upon some stuff um, in a Bigfoot book that for whatever reason jumped out to me as being very similar to some of that uh, Western European fairy folklore. And actually it's a motif that you find in a lot of places in the world. Um, this idea that eating food in the other world uh, would mean that you would be trapped in the other world. So in terms of Western Europe, if you accept food from the fairies, you're trapped in fairyland. Found the exact same thing in some Alaskan tribes interpretations of Bigfoot sat around said, maybe somebody should write a book. And then I was like, Oh, I guess I should. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. I, that was my first book, uh, Trojan feast in 2015 um, followed up by the brimstone deceit in 2016, which is all about uh, supernatural smells, um, not just brimstone. Um, and then in 2018, Thieves in the Night, which is all about supernatural child abductions. 2020's Where the Footprints End, Volumes 1 and 2, with my uh, co-author, Timothy Renner, which is like the... I, I, 
I would like to say the definitive guide to weird Bigfoot. You know, we tried to put as much stuff in there as we could. Um, and then, yeah, this year, 2022, uh, Ecology of Souls, A New Mythology of Death and the Paranormal. And uh, it's been a long time coming. Um, when I look back on the ideas that I've been playing with, I've probably been playing with this idea for about f- between five and seven years, I guess. Um, so since the beginning versus like maybe you know, 20, well, probably four, four and five years, I guess. Um, 2018, I look back and I see some stuff that I wrote about and I'm like, yep, that made its way into, into this new book. Um, I never intended for it to be a snapshot of the way that I uh, currently view the paranormal as a whole, but it kind of evolved into that by nature of the subject matter. Um, two things always really stuck in my mind. Um, the first thing, was uh, a quote from Ann Streber, uh, who was the uh, the wife of Whitley uh, before she passed away. In 1987, uh, Communion had just come out, and they were getting lots of letters from experiencers. And he says in several of his subsequent books that he remembers walking into the library where Ann was, you know, doing a lot of the replies to correspondence and stuff, and and reading all these different cases and things. And, and she had written on a piece of paper, this has something to do with what we call death. And that always stuck with me because that's not at all a conventional view of the UFO phenomena, um, which, you know, most people adhere to the extraterrestrial hypothesis. I have a lot of problems with that idea. We can go into it or not. Um, but there, I, I think that there are plenty of holes that you can poke in that. And the one thing that was a hole that I would use to poke in it would be, well, why do people see dead loved ones? during alien abductions, you know? Um, and, uh, I really wanted to unpack that, but I, you know, being growing up in a Christian household, um, and still being a practicing Christian myself, I knew that I had some biases. So, you know, I, I'm in terms of my faith, I'm pretty forgiving of other (laughs) spiritualities, I guess would be a good way to put it. Um, I don't necessarily incorporate them, but I definitely appreciate some of the insights that they have. Um, so I said, let's take a look at this from a holistic uh, worldview of all these different ancient religions and ancient traditions around what the soul is. And once you open that up, you're talking about things like reincarnation and maybe even, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, pre-birth memories and some really strange stuff that are things that have reared their heads in the UFO phenomena amongst experiencers time and time again, stories that I tended to avoid, not from any sort of like, deep seated ideological place in terms of being conflicting with my faith, but just, I didn't know what to do with them. You know, (laughs) they're so wild, but they're so wild. So um, when you talk about UFOs and death and try to explore that connection, you end up saying, okay, well, we've got to talk about near death experiences too. And we've also got to talk about some of these older figures that you see in a lot of different religions called, uh, called, psychopomps who lead you across that transition. And then before I knew it, like, you know, you're talking about shamanism and you're talking about entheogens and altered states of consciousness. And obviously the fairy stuff, which is something that I have a real soft spot for. Um, and, uh, you know, ancient monuments and ley lines and like, and while we're at it, let's throw Bigfoot in there too, because I can't <laughs> seem to not, not throw cryptids into my stuff too. Well, absolutely. Um, and, and, and what emerged, like I said, it's pretty much of a snapshot of the way it, the way that I personally make it work right now. And I had every intention of it being one book. It technically is one book. The only reason that I decided to split it um, wasn't a financial decision. Wasn't because the two books are vastly different in subject matter. It's just a matter of like 
the physical limitations of printing a book that's probably 1400 pages, right? Like the e- the ebook says 1400 pages is probably not quite as many in the print cuz you know, it's a little bit bigger, but um yeah. But yeah, I mean like just the binding on that. And I I have like, you know, the uh I don't have one on me right here that I can show you, but uh you know, when you have those two volumes and then the companion, which is again, I had to separate out all the references and the footnotes and endnotes. I think it's 4200 endnotes in this in this book. Um, when I separated all that out with three appendices that I decided to add, it's a book that's like, you know, that that thick, <laughs> like all three of those books together. So it's like I can't I don't trust any publisher on the planet to bind this and uh, you know and to that extent you know i i wanted to self-publish because this is the most personal thing that i've written and i knew that it was so big and unwieldy that if i presented it to a traditional publisher they'd probably want to take a lot of stuff out and tighten it here and there and i said you know what this might not be the wisest decision but i'm going to self-publish and uh self-publishing and doing it right is not for the faint of heart (laughs) it's so Um, much work i'm sure yeah, in the, in the past, I've handed in a manuscript and I've kicked back title ideas and rejected or taken in uh, cover ideas. But this was just, you know, hands on in the entire process. And uh, I had some very good people backing me up. Barbara Fisher from the Six Degrees of John Keel podcast was my editor. And uh, Mike Cleland, who is the author of The Messengers, which is the book on UFOs and owls and is a dear, dear friend of mine, um, was uh, in his previous life <laughs> his previous life on earth um was a uh, was a, a graphic designer and ad guy so he is very savvy with layout so he did all the layout and you know uh, and then also johnny decker miller who, who created these fantastic covers for me um so yeah it, it definitely takes a village in that respect and i don't know if i would do it again but i'm at the same time i'm i'm glad i went through the process just to have a better appreciation for what all it entails but Ecology of Souls, A New Mythology of Death and the Paranormal dropped on July 8th, and Volume 1, Volume 2, and The Companion are all available in print. Um, The Companion will be available on my website. We've had a little bit of a hiccup in terms of hosting that. It's some Amazon shenanigans. That should be uploaded again um, by July 28th. Uh, So if you have both the print volumes, you can just go to my website to see all the references. You don't have to buy the Companion book. Um, And then, you know, even more so, if uh, if you want to pick up the ebook, it's volumes one and two and contains all the endnotes. Um, and it's a lot cheaper because it's just an ebook. So <laughs> that's the thrifty option. Um, and you know, uh, if 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 I'm talking about you know making money, nobody really makes money in this. But if I'm talking about making money, I say buy the print books. But if you if I if I'm really true to myself and I just want these ideas out there, go pick up the ebook. I think it's the easiest way to do it. Yeah, for That's, sure. That was like what twenty minutes, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. No, it's uh, I definitely encourage everyone in the audience out there to to go pick up this book. Um, it's like I said, so far, you know, I've I've dove into it a little bit, and it, it's a great read. Uh, it, it's brought about a, a lot of things, and, and that I've never even thought of. But there's something that you mentioned right there that I'd actually never even heard before. And when I started reading this chapter, I was like, oh, wow. And that was psychopomps and that that idea. And, and, you know, in all these different cultures and civilizations all throughout history of these these helpers, Mm -hmm. I'll call them, you know, through to that other side, you know. And, And like you said, this is these this is a book that is based just like 
it's it's based all around everything in the paranormal, everything that you could think of. You know, yeah, the paranormal I, I, spirits, yeah. UFOs, cryptids, the kitchen sink, yep. everything, everything yeah. that would be that you would classify as paranormal or supernatural, and it it throws that aspect of death in there and what that means and how that binds everything together. And this idea of psychopomps, I, I really, really, I, I was really intrigued with that. So well, why don't you just speak on that just for a moment, if you would? Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you know, but you don't know, you know, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, if anybody's wondering, we're talking about figures like uh, the jackal-headed Egyptian god Anubis, um, Hermes in the Greek pantheon. Um, and, you know, if, if you want to look to the Norwegian folklores, um, Valkyries, the winged warrior women who escort the the spirits of the slain to Valhalla, these figures that are whose primary duty is to carry um, our spirits to the afterlife. Um, Abrahamic religions don't really have that. Um, generally speaking, you know, you've got Jesus or maybe some angels, um, you know, or maybe it's just automatic. Right. But, um, but in a lot of these ancient traditions, you do find these psychopomp figures coming up time and again. And this is something that I think that the book does, and I didn't really realize that Ecology of Souls did this until it was all said and done. But there, there are two things that uh, that I think it picks up on that have been overlooked for a while. And the first one is, you know, in in uh, Jacques Vallée's 1969 book Passport to Magonia, which is just like one of my fundamental texts that I keep returning to. He made a very sound case for the fact that the fairy folklore is a reflection of the modern UFO. Uh, you know, mythology. And I mean that like in the, in the most charitable of terms, right? Because I do think that there's something objectively real going on with these things, but the phenomena seems to recontextualize itself and seems to develop and change over time. So fairies and, and UFOs seem to be part of the same continuum of, of belief, but what goes unspoken in that is that a lot of ancient cultures thought of fairies as being intimately tied to the dead. So if you use that transitive property, you've got, well, the dead can sometimes be fairies and fairies can sometimes be what we see in the modern UFO encounters than the dead UFOs, right? <laughs> so that's the one thing. But the other thing specifically in regard to psychopomps that I think it sort of delves into is there's another great book, um, not nearly as easy to read as Passport to Magonia, but I think still a very important book called uh, The Trickster in the Paranormal by George P. Hansen. And uh, in that, he sort of outlines his idea of how this trickster archetype appears time and again in uh, a lot of different paranormal encounters. And he sort of makes a passing reference that, you know, to certain tricksters. And what you see when you look at that is that like a lot of these psychopomps also embody this sort of tricksterish aspect as well. Hermes being a prime example. So I think that the idea of psychopomps somehow resembling UFO occupants, for lack of a better term, if we're not going to call them aliens, um, has been something that sort of has been lingering in the background for a while. And I think that I'm not here to say, oh, it's me. I've figured it out. I didn't figure anything out. But I think it's just something that has been there that we sort of taken for granted and saying, well, no. And it makes perfect sense because tricksters are these liminal figures that dwell at the boundaries, right? Sometimes they're literally the God of the threshold, the God of the transition. And what's more of a transition than death itself. So yeah, the, if, if the trickster phenomena is tied into the paranormal writ large, then you would think that the biggest transition you can imagine <laughs> would be an integral part of that as well. Um, so yeah, uh, that was something that I was really excited to, to look into because there's not that I have, that I have found at least um, like a psychopomp, 
encyclopedia out there. <laughs> there are a couple of dissertations and you sort of have to, and one, it gets a little bit difficult because you have some figures that are dedicated psychopomps. Like that's the only thing that they do like Anubis. Yeah. And then you have some figures like Odin who he's not a psychopomp, but he serves that role sometimes and he fulfills that role sometimes. So um, that's probably the reason there's so much ambiguity there. But once you started peeling that back, you can see a lot of different things that these um, beings share in common with psychopomps. And one of the things that I, that I just can't get out of my head now is the fact that one of the most prominent psychopomp symbols is the boat, right? It's the ferry. It's, it's the boat to the other world. And the fact that the UFO phenomena focuses on transportation to a, essentially a magical realm sounds to me like a reworking of that, um, a reworking of that mythology and, and that there is some other intelligence that as our sensibilities have changed has said, okay, well, they're not into, you know, crossing the river sticks in a ferry, in a ferry, F E R R Y. <laughs> they're, they're not, they're not into crossing the river sticks in a boat anymore, but they really are into this UFO thing. So maybe we should look like this UFO to make this idea, this motif more palatable to these silly, simple human beings. Well, yeah, you know, that makes sense because you look back at, ufo encounters you know throughout you know some of the earliest ones that that started really looking at okay well these are airships or whatever i'm thinking was like late 1800s and that's literally how they were described it wasn't these these gigantic you know cigar shaped or or metal discs or black triangle it was blimps it was these these wooden giant aircrafts that that were held up by uh, balloons and all of these different things. It was almost like what they would envision, what the people of the time would envision, you know, to, to the highest of their mental capacity mm -hmm. is what these extraterrestrials or, or whatever you want to call them showed up in just like, or, the, or, or, or just like one generation ahead, right? One generation yeah. of technology ahead. And you exactly. have like, you can start with the airships. You can probably go back further to, you know, that namesake from Valet with that Magonia, the idea that there were these wizards and hot air balloons and ships that used to come out of the clouds. Um, yeah. But yeah, you've got, you know, that turn of the century airship wave. And then you have the art deco flying saucer in the mid 20th century. And then, you know, I think in the, um, I think in the, in the 70s, you started seeing some of these black triangles, which obviously were precursors to the stealth technology that yeah. took over. And, uh, you know, nowadays we've got these glowing balls of tic-tac plasma that everybody has, you know, got their panties in a wad about. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, so I, uh, I, I do think that this thing um, – keeps one step ahead of us. And, and some people might say, well, that means it's made up. No, I mean, I don't, I don't think it's made up. I think it, I think it appropriates the most palatable and exotic imagery of a given era to make itself um, seem one step ahead of us. When I think if you could like strip all that away, it might be something we couldn't even recognize. You know, we, our brains might not even be able to look at it because it's that far into our understanding. So it has to sort of put on different clothes as the generations continue. Yeah. I have to agree with that. I have to agree with that 100% because I mean, you just, you see it, you see it all throughout, you know, all the reports throughout history. I mean, it's just like you said, it's just a generation more advanced is what we're seeing. So it's like, you know, these, these beings, entities, whatever it is, whatever they are, that's, it's almost like they're just wanting to portray 
to you, hey, we're just a little bit better than you are. You know, well, it, it, it's it's like the carrot at the end of the stick in front yeah, of the donkey, right? Yeah. Like it keeps walking forward, and the carrot's always just a little bit farther ahead. It is, yeah. it is, and that's that's really interesting. It's really interesting to me. Um, you know, the, the first chapter in this book is about near death experiences, and I think so. That is that is right, right? The first yeah. <laughs> okay yeah. introduction near death experiences. Yeah, I didn't I didn't want to butcher that. I was thinking it was. No, but, you know, I was re- just right off the bat, you know, because diving into this thing, you know, of course, I didn't really know what to expect just just coming into the book. You know, I knew that just based on the the visualizations of everything and reading through the the chapters and all that, I knew that eventually we were getting into some some hardcore UFO action. But, you know, like it's like the entirety of volume one is just a background or, or a setup of volume two before we get into all the yeah. ufo action no, and th- this- that became yeah sorry go ahead no 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 you're fine go ahead go ahead i, I was just gonna say it, it became really apparent because there are two ways that you can write this book right something that's going to be try to be this comprehensive is that you either start off with the ufo stuff which is what i wanted to talk about right but as i started researching i found all this background information and i said okay well i can either write about ufos and have these constant digressions um where i have to go explain and concept from ancient mesopotamia right for like <laughs> yeah. three pages or i can just do that background information and bring everyone up to speed so we can actually have the discussion about ufos so if there is a split yeah it's exactly that it's sort of like background information and then the second book is is more ufo focused plenty of ufos in volume one but the second book is more of a laser focus on ufos and then cryptids uh towards the back half of it yeah yeah and that's I actually love that. I love that because, you know, we're operating in a, in a realm that, you know, I'm, I'm mainly a collector of stories. I'm mainly a collector of experiences and I spend so much time just collecting these stories and these experiences that the time there for the research into, well, you know, what is this actually, you know, what could this, what could this be? What could this mean? You know, a lot of that, kind of falls by the wayside because of the weight of all the stories. Um, of course, I have my own ideas and my own views on a lot of these things just based on my uh, morals and values and beliefs and all of this and that. But so I love that part of it because, you know, like I told you earlier, there was a lot of it that I'd never even heard of before. So when I'm coming across these things, it's leading to more research into my part and but, you know, lucky for me, like you said, there's like 4,200 different yeah. sources. <laughs> yeah, references. you can find out where I got stuff from. That's that's that's, that's part of the reason is just because I, I can't tell you how many people I know who have come up to me, you know, and, and said, you know, I, I really enjoyed your book. But what I enjoyed even more than that was the path that it led me on because I followed your end note and then I found that source and that led me to something else and their own research and their own interests have blossomed. So, yeah, that's that's, that's a big part of why I do it. Oh yeah. Um, and and, and I, yeah. I appreciate it. I really do appreciate it. Big time. Well, and, and, you know, you, you know, you talked about collecting stories and that's like a tight, tight rope that I always have to walk because, you know, I, I think that the, if all this stuff is just a load of bunk and I don't think it is right. But if it is, I still think it serves an incredibly important um, anthropological function, you know, as campfire stories and the way that these motifs sort of wind their ways through our, again, to use that same, uh, that same terminology, our every successive generation, right. The way that these things reinvent themselves. And, uh, 
and you know, I I sometimes get so far into that sort of uh, historical research angle that I end up forgetting that there's so many people in here who just want to hear some good stories. So like, <laughs> yeah. it's always a tightrope, right? Right? Because I just want to talk. I could talk theory all day, and you know, we could talk about ideas and, and different trends and paradigms all day but i'm like but people want to hear stories too so trying to find that balance is always always tricky for me and uh i mean really i i admire the heck out of folks like you because without again without without vectors like podcasts um you know what people like me do we wouldn't have as many stories like the number of people who have felt comfortable to come forward on podcasts and share their stories. I mean, it's, it's incredible. And there's, yeah. so, there's, I think it has added more accounts to the body of, of paranormal literature in a shorter amount of time than any, anything else, you know? Um, oh yeah. And, and not every story is true, you know, but no, obviously. but that's, but that's never what I look at. Like I, I look at the fact that like, Oh, this story contains this element, which you can find, in you know the egyptian book of the dead <laughs> and like okay so that, that to me is you know more compelling as opposed to vetting every single story and if you know there's some there's some uh, made-up stories in there that's fine because the trims don't just appear once they appear time and time and time again so you can just find that that story's that story's made up go on to the next one that has the exact same motif in it yeah, yeah. what's well, like we say on here all the time you know if where there's smoke there's fire. If, you know, somebody may be fabricating a little bit or exaggerating a little bit, but if all of the millions and millions of stories in this realm out there, if 1%, if just 1% of them are completely true, then that means there's a whole lot of weird out there that we don't understand. Yeah. There, there's, there's this, um, there's this logical, I'm not really sure what discipline it stems from, but there's this lot, there's this uh, thought experiment where it's like you can see a million white swans and you can't say that there are no black swans. Right. <laughs> but you see one black swan and you can say that yes, black swans do exist. So like, right. So all we need is one story and then that just blows everything up, you know? Yeah, that's it. That's it. And that's, I, I love, I love that. Like I'm, I'm probably going to steal that and start using it. But no, back to back to these near death experiences. I was really intrigued reading some of the uh, accounts that you had put in there um, about some of these near death experiencers and just how the. I mean, you, you hear people talk about near death experience, and just like we're talking about with stories right now, you know, a lot of a lot of folks will sit back and say, "Eh, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know," but when you have people that have these experiences and then, you know, they're in a hospital bed and they're flatline people rush in, they're trying to, they're bringing in the crash cart. They're trying to bring them back to life. And then they talk about how they go out of body. They can, they're, they're perched in the corner of the, the room at the ceiling, looking down on their body and they can describe what people are wearing. They can pass through the ceiling. They can pass through the building. They can see a shoe, on a ledge on a building and describe the shoe that, I mean, look, there are, there's no other way to explain any of that than the fact that it actually happened. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if it's not a complete fabrication, then it's, it's pretty open and shut in my mind. Yeah. The, there are very few Hills that I will die on in the paranormal, but those two Hills, <laughs> I have two of them. Um, one is uh, the, 
existence of psi phenomena because some of the laboratory research that's been done trying to prove things like telepathy and ESP and, you know, uh, pre, uh, precognition, uh, have been done so rigorously and at a level of uh, statistical significance that, you know, if it was anything else, we would just accept generally. Um, I believe it was Russell Targ, who was one of the individuals who was involved with the Stanford uh, Research Institute, you know, the whole remote viewing thing. Yeah. Um, who said that there was more evidence for the existence of psi than there is for the efficacy of aspirin. <laughs> and like, if you read some of this stuff, like Dean Radin is somebody who I think is doing great work. Um, it w- really would seem to be that way. So it's like, okay, we, these researchers are trying to play by your laboratory rules. I don't think that the paranormal can thrive in a laboratory setting, but that's neither here nor there, but you have these researchers that are trying to play by the, the you know, the, the scientific community's rules and they're still being ignored. So that's hill number one that I'll die on hill number two. Um, it's a bit of a distant second, but it is, it is the near death experience because you do have these stories where people are by all of our current measures, completely flatlined and they'll report things that are said, or, you know, there's a story I didn't make it into the book, but there's another story of a, uh, of a, of a, uh, a surgery patient who flatlined and her eyes were covered like, like not just like closed, but her eyes were closed and they were bandaged and like taped shut because that was just part of the precautions that were needed for the surgery. And she was describing things like what people were wearing, who came into the room as she's flat after she flatlined, like, you know, the way the things that the doctor said, if she flatlined, which maybe on some level, she heard it, but then you do have these stories like that great story of a, of a cardiac arrest patient, I believe in Washington, if memory serves, who, who said that, you know, she, uh, she had, had this near death experience. And she said that she left her body and that she could see outside. There was a sneaker, a man's sneaker on a ledge outside the hospital. And like, that doesn't make any sense. Like nobody in the hospital knew what they were talking about until they, um, until they organized a search and uh, you know, believe it or not, they found a shoe with the exact description down to the way it was laced and the color of the sole and the color of the shoe that was on a ledge outside the hospital. Nobody knows how it got there. Right. But it was on a ledge outside a hospital, like where you couldn't see it from the window. Like you actually had to stick your, open the window of the hospital, which is not something that's like easy to do. Right. I don't even know if patients can do that. I don't think you can open the patient, open the window of the hospital and stick your head out and see the, see the ledge. Um, And then there are other stories like, there was another story that's in the book where you have a uh, another patient who died on the uh, in, during surgery, and she came back and said that she met her father, who told her that everything would be okay. And they said, "Oh, well, you know, you must have been imagining it because your your dad's fine. I talked to him this morning." Well, they didn't realize that nobody in the family had ha- had learned that he had actually died before she died, you know, and yet somehow she encountered him in that afterlife realm. And you know, they're just they're hundreds of stories like this and it's constantly ignored time and time again to the extent that like you know the way that the term uh you know uh climate denier or climate change deniers is, is trotted out i think that we need to sort of start using near-death denier or near-death experience <laughs> denier right because like yeah. it's, it's some of it's so so good and yeah. a lot of the explanations that you'll hear about hypoxia you know restricted blood flow to the brain or restricted oxygen to the brain or the idea that you know it's 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 an hallucination um don't really hold up to close scrutiny for a number of reasons um you know ironically one of those reasons is that because some people who are 
in intense trauma where they're convinced they're going to die will also have like near near death experiences, right? They're never actually experiencing any trauma, but they'll have the exact same symptoms of, uh, of the near death experience. So what I sort of use that near death experience chapter to do was a couple of different things. Um, you know, first of all, as much as I, um, because I'm so convinced of the authenticity of the near death experience, I didn't know as much about it as I needed to, because it was like, well, yeah, these are great stories. Like, I don't need to like focus on this because it's open and shut. Right. <laughs> um, so that was part of it. I was like, well, I've got to get up to speed on near death experiences. If we're going to write a book about death and the paranormal. Um, but part of it too, is, is to underscore the fact that so many, I won't say all, but so many of these contact experiences by which I mean, near death experiences, out of body travel, um, shamanic initiation in a lot of uh, animist societies, uh, altered states of consciousness that you might have from something like a psychedelic trip, uh, and uh, you know the alien abduction scenario, and some cryptid encounters. They all have these same shared attributes, and I suspect that the um, simplest or most straightforward or most genuine version of that is the near-death experience, because I think all of these experiences bring you to or past that, 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 that threshold. Yeah. Um, and I have, I have my reasons for suspecting that I took, you know, <laughs> 1400 pages to <laughs> say why I suspect that, but like, you know, and some of these connections have been drawn before, you know, Eddie Bullard had talked about how alien abductions look like shamanic initiations and Kenneth ring had talked about not only, uh, that but also their similarities to to the near-death experience but like i don't think anybody has really again it sounds like i'm tooting my own horn here but i don't feel like any i don't feel like the magnitude to which all those things seem so similar has been fully grasped and i don't think the implications of that and what that means have really been addressed as thoroughly as they should so that was part of the why part of why i had to get off my chest i guess well, no, I mean, you're, you're exactly right. I think, um, and, and you can toot your own horn. I mean, you're on the biggest podcast in far Southwestern Virginia right now, man. I mean, you're, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, <laughs> you're living, a, you're living a dream right now. You're living a dream and don't even know it. <laughs> well, I, I tell you what, man, and this is, I've said this for, I've been saying this for a lot of people lately because I've been having a lot of pleasant surprises. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of podcasts that are not this much fun. So you're doing great. <laughs> you're doing well, great, man. Good, good. And this is, and it's just me. If if my other boys had, had were able to make it tonight, it would be, uh, it'd be even better. It'd be even well, better. We'll, we'll, we'll have to just do this again. Not that we're yeah. done. Not that we're done, but we'll have nah, to do we're, it again. Yeah. We're not done yeah. yet, folks. We're not done. Don't, don't tune out yet, but we would definitely do it again on down the road. Um, but no, I just, I love, and, and like you, you start seeing so many patterns and so much correlation between different stories and different accounts and all of these, just like you were saying, you know, near death experiences, out of body experiences, shamanic experiences, uh, you know, psychedelic trips, DMT, you know, all, all these different things that, you know, it has to connect somewhere. And I think that you in this book, you do a really good job with trying to take all of those things and to fit them into a, well, I can't even say fit them into into one box because <laughs> this, is, this book is so broad. It has so much information and 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 brings all of that into and trying to put it all together that it's just it's mind blowing. Well, what I came to realize, and, and I, I try to say this with every book, but people 
sometimes don't read this or they don't internalize it, but like there's a giant asterisk beside everything that I do. And it says, maybe, you know, like, cause I don't have the answers, but what I can say about ecology for souls is that I personally have found the logic in it to be very consistent. And it's a way for me to grasp with some stuff that I just don't have any way, other way of, um, of figuring out like a perfect, two perfect examples. Right. Um, one of those are these stories, which are not as uncommon as you'd think, where witnesses see a UFO transform into a bird. <laughs> and it's like, what do you what do you do with that? Like, you can say, oh, that's, you know, cloaking technology from the aliens. They're somehow shape-shifting their craft. But when you learn that there are so many similarities between UFOs and the human soul, which is its own rabbit hole, but when you learn that there are those similarities, and you also learn that it was a universal concept that the soul was imagined as a bird, you say, oh, well, then it makes perfect sense why that would happen. Another good example, um, and, you know, really popular topic these days, but Dogman. Like, I, I'm pretty confident that we're not going to capture or kill a Dogman. Like, yeah. I, just, I just don't think that that's what they are, right? I mean... Because, you know, Bigfoot, even though I wrote the book with Tim on, on Weird Bigfoot, like there's precedent for that in the fossil record. And there's just nothing that has ever been on Earth that we know about. And, of course, there might be some sort of something somewhere. But, like, it's such a big stretch, biologically speaking, for there to be a human-dog hybrid. But when you look at some of this older werewolf folklore and how that was very closely related to a concept which we in the modern day have 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 lost which is the idea of the wandering soul you know i think i think christianity is partially responsible for for suppressing some of these ideas like that but like the idea that your soul could wander and that was you know a lot of times if it wasn't you know induced by a trance that was the means by which werewolves manifested it wasn't this full body transformation it was the witches or sometimes you know someone's soul by accident would just leave their body and either become a wolf or inhabit a wolf. And the wounds on the werewolf's body were, would be paralleled on the human's body. And all this has a lot of different precedents in a lot of indigenous cultures and whatnot. But like that to me is like, Oh, when you, when you introduce the idea of the soul and see how that tradition is filtered through, then I can say, yeah, dog man kind of makes more sense for me now than it, than it once did. Again, may not be the right way, but I have found it to be really internally consistent for me. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that uh, that view on Dogman because it's one of those things that I'm like you. Like, I look at which I'm the same way with Bigfoot too. You know, yeah, we do have some physical evidence of, uh, and, and we know that Gigantopithecus existed. We know that a lot of these large primates existed. I mean, none of them are great matches, but you can exactly. kind of make it work, right? You can yeah, make it work. Can, yeah, you can fit it into this neat little thing if you had to. Mm -hmm. But like you look at a lot of these stories, you look at a lot of these accounts, you look at a lot of these in encounters of people and, and what they're saying. And man, it just seems really, really, really metaphysical. It seems like they're operating somehow in a way that's just not not flesh and blood. And, and you know, being a Christian, growing up as a Christian. It's so tempting to just say demons, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm not saying that that's not the case, but it's one of those things. So one of my mentors is Greg Bishop, and he's ascribed to this sort of almost Zen-like philosophy that even if you don't necessarily agree with an idea, sometimes that idea deserves to have a spotlight shown on it because it's not being discussed, right? Just 
if nothing else is a mental exercise. So like people have written about the possibility that something like dog man is a demon. I think that a lot of people are just super reductive and they're like, everything's a demon. You know, it's either, <laughs> yeah. it's either from, it's either from heaven for, from, from hell and everything ends up being a demon. Right. And, and what I, what I see, and this is part of the, part of the reason that I chose the ecology of souls. Um, this isn't exactly where the term originated, but I think that the title speaks to the idea of an ecology, right? So the idea that like you have good things. Yeah. I totally believe that you have things that are of, of Christ and of God and you have bad things that I believe are <laughs> of the evil one and, uh, and are in for lack of a better term, demons and demonic. But I think that there might be an entire broad swath of that ecology of souls or spirits that um it, are, are basically free agents you know um yeah. that that sort of can go that they either have enough free will to go either way or their will is your will which is you know an interesting interesting idea like they, they only define alignment through you right um and something like you know the the, the fairy folklore um would definitely fit into that to that niche you know would definitely because if you read the fairy folklore from basically every continent where they have them, you know, sometimes there are some that tend to be negative and some that tend to be positive, but for the most part, like they're very, um, they, they really ride that razor's edge between good and bad, you know? Um, and that's something that, uh, you know, I, I am sad to say my faith doesn't have a means for integrating, right? It's either yeah. good or it's bad. And that's where the reason the early church said, well, fairies, we don't know what to do with them. Let's make them all demons. Right. And that's, that's a little bit, a little bit reductive. A case can certainly be made that some of the behavior is the same, but um, so yeah, so that's, that's why I really like that, that ecology of souls idea, because it does imply a certain diversity that you would normally see in certain, you know, biomes in the natural world. Yeah. Um, question. I was, I was talking earlier today with a couple of, well, I was talking with Ryan and Lance and we were talking just about how, and we had actually talked a little bit about it on a, a previous episode about how well actually just to give a little rundown this guy i think it was actually the last episode the guy that we had on he went he lived 35 years never had a paranormal experience at all nothing you know was a total skeptic on everything um and then all of a sudden he has this ufo encounter and he you know after that in the, in the next two years I mean, paranormal things and the accounts or the encounters have been popping off like crazy. So it was something that we were talking about. What are your thoughts on if when someone does experience something within the paranormal, do you think that, that opens them up almost to a uh, they become more of a magnet or they become more open to to seeing some of these things? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, I think that an argument uh, can certainly be made that uh, the UFO con, you know, the UFO contact in general is more contagious um, than uh, than any other contact. Um, you'll hear these stories of people who um, will meet in an abductee and will have all sorts of bleed over from just being in their vicinity or being around them, and it's almost like. Sometimes I wonder if it's like that thing where once you see something, you can't unsee it. <clears throat> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that that could be it. I know that there are some people, you know, without knowing more about his specific UFO sighting, um, I know that there are some people who would treat 
that initiatory or rather that initial event, that sort of an initiatory event. In other words, that it is the catalyst that opened him up, you know, and there's certainly some indication that depending on how intense his experience was, that that might be the way that these things go. I mean, there's uh, some indications in uh, some recent uh, research into psychedelics and altered states of consciousness that uh, people who are frequent users of psychedelics report things like <laughs> levitation and, you know, psychokinesis, so like poltergeist activity and uh, clairvoyance and precognition more when they're not taking the drugs, <laughs> which is really interesting to me. Like it's the idea that like you'd expect all that crazy stuff to happen when somebody is high, yeah. and, you know, it's taking these things over and over again. But like in this study, it seems to indicate that people actually experience them more after the fact, almost as these sort of residual after effects. So it's almost like there is sort of a gateway that opens hmm. um, in this regard. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Cause you know, I think about all those things, you know, in the socket or the altered states of consciousness. I won't just say psychedelics because I believe there's a lot of ways that you can alter your state of consciousness. And uh, you go over a few of those in your book as well. But I think that I think that you're right. I think there are a lot of different ways out there that a person can open themselves up and like with him and like with, you know, a lot of others, you know, I, I believe just from what I've seen, you know, and, and what I look into, I believe some people are born with it. I believe just some people are just born extremely sensitive and, and can see kind of past and through that veil and operate with, with things going on in, in the spiritual realm or whatever you want to call it. But then I believe that others, you know, they have these experiences and it just, it opens them up. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, there's been a lot of discussion um, over the years about the incidence of um, childhood trauma and being an experiencer. Um, and uh, you do see, you do perceive these sort of loose trends across a lot of these different things. Um especially in the alien abduction phenomena. Um, I think a case could be made that that's sort of what you're seeing sometimes in the, the changeling stories in fairy folklore, because, you know, these supposed changelings were literally tortured. It's a horrible, horrible part of our history. Um, but, um, you know, one of the most comprehensive uh, studies of experiencers was conducted by Ray Hernandez at this uh, group called free. Um, and it's a great study, but I was in this conversation with them and he was sort of pushing back on the idea that, uh, child abuse played any sort of role. And he said, you know, well, you know, 80% of our respondents said that they didn't experience any childhood trauma. And I'm like, so that implies that 20% did, you know, which is not only above, you know, uh, depending on your source, depending above, you know, the average, um, that one would expect, but also doesn't factor in people who don't recognize their trauma, don't Absolutely. remember their trauma, are afraid yeah. to share their trauma. So there does seem to be some sort of trend there, but I don't think it's necessarily that the trauma itself, the childhood trauma itself that opens you up. It seems like um, the ability to dissociate is something that's really, really at the core of a lot of these things. Um, the idea that you can sort of perceive almost literally or figuratively perceive yourself and distance yourself from a third person. Um, and, I think the issue arises when you start talking about, you know, uh, childhood trauma being a prerequisite for these experiences. And I don't think it is. I think that dissociation is a key, but I think that that can be brought upon by a lot of different things from childhood trauma to the use of psychedelics to, you know, meditation. Um, and, you know, dare I even say, 
it could be brought upon by the other just sort of taking a, a notice to you, you know, and, and, and doing it itself to you, you know? So I think that, you know, that, that definitely plays a factor in that. Um, and then after that, it seems like, you know, the gateways of perception are opening. You see this, you know, with indie ears too, you know, they'll have completely mundane lives and they'll, uh, they'll come back and they'll tell these fantastic stories and they'll have a lifetime that's full of ghosts and clairvoyance and precognition. Um, and what I found interesting is that if you look at uh, some of the classical literature um, from the Mediterranean, like, you know, Greece and Rome and whatnot, um, people who were reincarnating would have to drink the, it was either you flew over a plane called Lethe or you'd actually be given a drink called Lethe, which was this forgetting drink um, where if you drank it, you wouldn't remember your past life. And those who didn't drink it or didn't fly over the planes um, would actually retain the memories of their past lives and they would always be destined to become seers, oracles, and mystics. So you kind of have the same parallel with like people remembering the NDEs living a life of, of miraculous encounters and that, you know, bleed over effect happens in you know, Bigfoot witnesses, not too often, but it's a super common thing for uh, alien abductees to have poltergeist phenomena in their homes. It's just very much under, under. Yeah. I think that it's, that's, it's so, I know I've I've said interesting 500,000 times throughout this show, but that's what it is. It's so interesting. All of this is. And that's another thing that we've talked about a lot on here is just that, that correlation between uh, you know, your, your paranormal or, or, or say a haunting, you know, poltergeist activity, seeing shadow people, you know, seeing apparitions, all of these different things going on within your home, you know, following a, a cryptid sighting or encounter or something that you see that you just can't explain. And then, you know, lights in the sky or UFOs, you know, how a lot of times in a lot of these stories, it's like the trifecta, you know, it's like some people, these things just hit all at the same time. And I think that that brings that brings more uh, confirmation as to some of the things that you're saying here. That brings, uh, it brings a lot to light in all of that because there has to be a connection. You know, if all of these things are, and you know, everybody out there, every paranormal investigator will automatically just say, Oh, well, portal, that's a portal. It's a portal has to be a portal. Yeah. yeah. What does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. A portal to what or where? Well, it's, it's kind of like the quantum thing. You know, people try to bring in quantum mechanics and there's a Richard Feynman quote. He's a scientist, philosopher, teacher, or something along those lines. And he said, you know, if you think you understand quantum mechanics, you don't understand quantum mechanics, (laughs) (laughs) which is like always my go-to. Like, like, I don't understand it. I'm not going to try to bring it in here. And, you know, if, if your paradigm isn't broke, don't fix it. You know, yeah. I mean, people start throwing in things like other dimensions and they treat them like it's another place that you go to. And it's like, that's not what it is. Like, you know, if you read the that Flatland essay, it's like, you know, uh, someone who is a two-dimensional person on a piece of paper wouldn't be able to perceive your finger if it touches the paper. They just see a, you know, a disc, right? Right. So there's that. But yeah, to, to, the, to the extent that, you know, I... I suspect that these are all faces of one phenomena, obviously, because I just wrote all this, all this <laughs> stuff, tying them in together. Right. Yeah. But at the very least, if, if I'm wrong on that, I would be absolutely shocked if uh, these Venn diagrams don't overlap. Right. It, I think it's a circle, right. But it may be Venn diagrams overlapping here and there. Maybe it's different things using similar mechanisms to achieve their ends. But, uh, but yeah, I would be absolutely shocked if there's no connection between these things. Cause some of the stuff is so weirdly specific, you know, like the, you know, depending on the report that you'll hear, 
people who experience things might not always, but often report either an intense buzzing sound or like a deathly silence, like by which I mean like no wind, no trees, no birds. Like you can't even hear your footfalls, right? Like silence, like a bubble. And, you know, you see that in near death experiences. You see that in out of body experiences. You see that in, in UFO experiences. You see that in some cryptid encounters. And it's just like, why, why would that, I can't imagine a scenario in which that very specific attribute would manifest so consistently if there wasn't some sort of connective tissue between these things. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I definitely agree. But I mean, the great thing about all of this is, you know, there's nothing that we're saying on here. Nobody can prove us wrong. <laughs> That's the great thing. Right. I mean, yeah. That's the great <laughs> and it's, and it's so silly, man. I tell you what, I, so I've been, I've been doing some writing for some YouTube channels and like the number of people that I see in the comments section who get really tied up in their identity over things like UFOs being extraterrestrials and Bigfoot being a big ape in the woods. Like, man, just go outside and walk barefoot in the grass and take a couple of deep breaths and hug your kids. And like this, these are not things to get worked up over. I mean, it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's just fun speculation. That's the thing. You have so many people and and we were talking a little bit earlier, you know, not going into specifics, just how it's really hard to have conversations in this day and time. You know, it, it really is. You know, just before I got on here and started recording with you, uh, well, I take it as a badge of honor because, you know, I feel like you're you're really growing when the trolls start coming out. That's that's how that's how I feel that we're that we're finally doing something right. Is, is when- one of my favorite. I have a couple of favorite Oscar Wilde quotes, but um, one of my favorites is that um, is that there's only one thing worse than being talked about and that's not being talked about. Right? That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. But yeah, he, uh, well, I'll just, I mean, I'm not gonna put his name out there, but he, he sent me an, or he sent the show an email, but I'm, I'm usually the one responding to, uh, you know, emails and, and the social media stuff. And he sent an email talking about a, an idea that we were talking about. And because, he he said a guest. I'm pretty sure he was talking about one of the hosts, though. He said because they had this idea, they were just a complete idiot. That was what he ended it with. You're a complete idiot. But all throughout the email, there was terrible punctuation and wrong grammar usage and misspellings. So most people could just <laughs> let most people could just let that go. Yeah, but I, I didn't. I sent it back and I said. Uh, look, I, I appreciate your input, but if you're going to send a uh, send an email saying that calling somebody else an idiot, you might want to <laughs> that spell check. Yeah, you might want to proofread it and hit spell check before you push it out there. Yeah, I mean, I see, and I don't know. Maybe this doesn't bother you. It 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 does bother me, and I I would like to think it bothers me because I'm coming from a genuine place, and I just think this stuff's real neat. And when somebody's like really nasty. It's just like, you know, I, I saw something the other day that was, you know, somebody posted about ecology of souls. And the, the first response was, I think his idea is a load of crap. And this was like the day the book was released. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> look, I know, I know you didn't read the thing. Like, I know you didn't read the thing and I didn't talk no. to you about it beforehand. So no way. So people are really wed to their own pet interpretations and yeah, you know, um, and the other thing that I've realized, you know, talking to the sort of, it goes back to some of the stuff that we we're talking about before you hit record. 
man, a lot of people are going through a lot of stuff that you just have no idea about. You know, it's true. I, sa- I sat down with a colleague of mine whom I had butted heads with a lot in the past over, you know, different issues. And I found out some stuff that was going on in his life. And I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense why you're, why you're upset, you know? And I think that, you know, I think that if everybody would just treat other people with more dignity um, and realize that other people are in pain, I think it would be a lot nicer planet to live on right now but yeah i guess that's not where we are in the cycle so <laughs> we've got to just wait it out no yeah. that's that's definitely not where we're at it's 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 really hard to uh to see compassion coming from any angle compassion and empathy are uh are things that are falling along by the wayside yes yes so joshua we okay this book, I, I know this will be really, really, really hard to do. And I don't want to, I don't want to give too much away or put too much out there because I really want people to buy this thing. I really want them to dive into it and read it and try to try to look into some of these things for themselves. You know, if you, for the audience, if you have, you know, a question, well, obviously you have questions about the paranormal or you wouldn't be listening to this show. I mean, that's, <laughs> we all have questions about the paranormal. That's why we, that's why we study up and research and talk about and, and take in information. But I would really, really, really encourage you to check out this book. And even if you don't agree with, you know, what Joshua is saying here, you still have to appreciate the time and the work and the effort and the 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 lines that are drawn and the dots that are connected throughout. And if nothing else, you know, point two, there's so much great storytelling and history about, you know, monuments and landmarks and, and, and mythology and folklore and all of these things. And if, if you are a fan of any of that stuff, regardless, if you're that guy that left a comment that said, Hey, this is a load of crap. You still <laughs> have to appreciate all of that. So Joshua, if you could just give a, and, and I know this will be terribly hard to do, <laughs> I'm if, ready for it. I'm ready for it. If you could just give like a synopsis, like if you were just putting this thing out there, you know, as here's my outline for people to check this thing out and get excited about it. What would that look like? I would have to say that um, the reason so many of these things seem to well up around death is because they seem also equally invested in us and tied to life. Um, you know, you hear so many paranormal encounters and they seem like they're tailor made for the person who had them, you know, especially with things like synchronicities. And I think that um, there's a phenomena or, or multiple phenomena that um, have walked alongside us um, for as long as we've been around and we've called it a lot of names. I call it something that you might not. Um, but um there is an aspect of this that has been walking beside us as a steward and has been, I suspect allowing the universe to observe itself, allowing the divine to observe itself. And uh, there is a, let me see, it's getting hard because I'm, I'm trying to separate my beliefs and my <laughs> speculation from, from the, from the pitch. But, you know, I, I suspect that, um, everything is laundered through everything 
you know, souls go through a lot of different things and probably go through things that we in our modern Western worldview don't think they do like mountains and trees and rocks. Right. Um, but I think that energy is, is something that is beautiful. And I think it draws upon a source from beyond the veil that, um, you know, comes time and again to allow this, oneness to experience itself sounds real new age and hairy theory but i think that the, i think the ufo phenomena i mean obviously everything is 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 a part of that but i think that the uh, the ufo phenomena and certain uh strange encounters are a very important part of that because they allow us to catch a glimpse of that as it comes through and maybe discern some of the purpose of uh of maybe even why we're here. Um, I suspect that UFOs are indeed tied to death. Um, they may well be an inter a reinterpretation of the psychopomp boat. They might be our souls. Um, you know, there's an entire section in the book where I play with the idea of aliens uh, being us, you know, aliens as something else or aliens as us, you know, um, because they are so compatible with us or they seem to be so compatible with us and uh, that they are somehow, as Whitley Strieber suggested, um, when he spoke with his visitors at one point, they said that we recycle souls, right? That they might actually be involved in that um, rebirth process, which brings them into alignment with certain interpretations of the fairy folk as well. And I think that some of them fulfill that psychopomp duty, um, not only in terms of ushering across that final threshold, but ushering through um, transitions in our lives, whether we see it or not. That's probably sounded super vague, but like, <laughs> it's so much trying to create. You're right. It was an, it's an intimidating <laughs> question. Yeah. Yeah. I told you. I told you. <laughs> I asked it anyway, though. I asked it anyway. No, that's great. It's great. But no, I, I like, I like, I like where you're going with all of that. And I think that that is, I think that's enough there to get people interested and, and want to, to go out there and buy this book because, you know, like, like we've talked about on here, you know, like I've talked about with, with most every guest that we've had and, and with the boys that do this show with me, you know, there, you can put so many different names on these, these beings, these, these creatures, these entities, these, whatever you want to call them, you can look at them in so many different angles and people do, you know, based on where they're at in their own lives. But I feel like that you have to have a completely open mind. There's only a couple things in this entire world that I will, that I will take that and I'll, I'll die on that hill. It's only a couple things. Yep. Everything else I am totally 100% open to because I don't know anything. There are no absolutes in my, in my perspective. There's, there's no absolutes because I have, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know. You haven't, because you haven't experienced everything. Exactly. Right? You know I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Now, when the day comes that I experience everything there is to experience and I have all the answers, I'll sit down here and tell you all that. And uh, you can go ahead and take it to the bank. Well, you know what? When I think of the people that I, I've always admired, it's been the ones who um, know the limitations of their scope and who are comfortable enough saying things like, I don't know. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, I, it takes, I think it takes a person of strong character to, to say, I don't know, because, you know, people look to you for answers and it's like, I don't know, you know, 
and of course this is coming from somebody who just prattled on about all, <laughs> all these all these things that he perceives as answers right but again it's that giant asterisk it's a giant maybe like you know i i don't know and you know, as, as many things that I found that fit together for me, there are a lot of things that stand out. But I think, but I think that comes back to that idea of, of dignity and compassion being a driving force in uh, in your treatment of others. Because, yeah, you know, I'm you know walking a mile in somebody's shoes. As tried as it is, it's so so true. It really is, and I do appreciate the fact that I mean you you have a like we've talked about a gigantic fourteen hundred page book here. <laughs> Where you're, where you're putting all of these thoughts and ideas and all this passion into, but still at the end of it, you're willing to say, you know what? I, I don't know. That may, well, there, yeah. there may be some of it true. It may be, you know, all of it may be true. <laughs> all of it may be completely hey, wrong. You know, I don't know. T- t- tomorrow might be the day when aliens simultaneously land on the white house lawn and we shoot a Bigfoot, you know? And <laughs> yeah. if that's the case, that's great. It's I, I, I kind of welcome that because you know, uh, that's, that's so much simpler than what, than, than, than what I've, I've perceived. And, you know, we have answers to some things, but that's just, that's just the thing. I don't, if you're involved in this stuff and you're looking for answers, I think you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. And yeah. I think, I think you will get answers, but I don't think they'll come in your lifetime. If that makes any sense. No, I do agree. I agree with that. 100%. I mean, I, I feel like that, you know, the con- technology is, is constantly evolving and, and, you know, becoming just better and better and better. And I believe that probably one day we'll have technology just like right now, you know, with, with, uh, you know, sonar and infrared and, and, you know, all this, you know, thermal imaging and, and all these different things that we have that we didn't have, you know, 50, a hundred years ago, I feel like we may be to the point, you know, at some time to where we can say, Oh yeah, there's definitely, you know, some form of activity here, or we have, you know, whatever, I, you know, maybe possibly that'll happen, but, I think that's the way it'll it will come about is is through technology. And still, I think there's some things that won't be answered. You know, if we're still around, if we yeah. don't if we don't destroy ourselves, or Jesus don't come back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, and and that, the other thing is, you know, discovering questions that you had no idea you needed the answers to. You know. Yeah, that's it. I think that's I think it's an ever moving it's that ever moving goalpost, right? It is. That we talked about earlier. Yeah, hundred percent. It really is, man. It really is. Well, Joshua, this has been a great, great conversation. I'm really, uh, I'm really looking forward to finishing this book up, and I'll let you know when I do. I'll give you my exact. Yeah, let, let me know how much it stinks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. Well, I can already tell you it doesn't stink. Well, I'm already enjoying the heck out of it. I know that Lance is enjoying the heck out of it. I'm not really sure about Ryan. Uh, I mean, I don't think that I don't think that he's dove into it yet hey it's it's not everybody's cup of tea and i totally totally get that you know i mean i can't tell you how many times i was writing it and i'm like does anybody want to read this i'm like well i want to read it so i guess i'll write it <laughs> so, yeah. well that's it it's like this yeah. podcast you know when i get to thinking does anybody really want to hear about this i just think well i'm 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 researching it i'm looking into it i'm really interested in it if, if i yeah. am then even if i'm just talking to myself i'm enjoying it yeah but yeah, I, I really appreciate you coming on here, man. Hey, I really, really do. This has Go. been an absolutely wonderful, enjoyable conversation. Um, it's been great. Well, I'm glad. Um, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm averting my gaze from you because I was wondering, um, when are we, uh, when should this be out? 
This will drop on Monday. Okay, so it, can I uh, can I plug some upcoming things? Absolutely, that's what okay. I was just getting ready to ask. Oh, me. I'm sorry, I preempted. No, we'll see. No, you're is, good. You're good. The thing is, I just did one the other night, and I completely forgot about it. So, um, no, I, I try not. There was one time, um, one time, really, really, really early on, that before I, I closed the show down, you know, I was mm-hmm. like, I, I went completely through it and and didn't ask the guy to plug his stuff and. You know, as I was getting ready to say goodbye to the audience out there, he was like, uh, hey, man, you care if I plug my stuff? And I was like, from that point on, it's it's always here. <laughs> yeah. It's always well, uh, has to happen. Um, Well, again, I'm sorry. I stepped on your toes. No, you're good, um, man. You're good. Well, uh, so I uh, will be at a couple of events. Um, August is super busy for me, which is exciting. Um, the first of which is the Strange Tales uh of the unknown it's the mid midwest conference on the unknown in cape Girardeau, missouri never been to missouri so we're gonna go there um august august 5th through august 7th of this year um if you visit cape-events.com and you use the code ci30 you can get 30 percent off the ticket sales um and it's just a stacked lineup it includes people that are friends of mine and people who i've wanted to meet and it's just just go 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 just search for the midwest conference on the unknown and look at that lineup because it's absolutely fantastic um the other thing that i wanted to talk about was the uh, worldwide metaphysical tribe meetup in franklin grove illinois the weekend of august 11th through 14th couple of interesting speakers there um it should be a good time it looks like a really interesting peaceful session and uh they're gonna do a ce5 and try to call down a ufo so <laughs> nice. um being being paranormal kryptonite as i am i'm eager to see if if, if my appearance completely <laughs> spoils the whole thing um <laughs> but we'll see um and then uh, uh over labor day weekend i will be at dragon con here in atlanta uh I, i've been you know, a couple of years in a row and haven't heard anything back. And finally they're like, yeah, we'll have you. So I'm like, great. I can actually get to a conference. It's like, you know, just an hour on the road. So yeah, that's awesome. So uh, I'll be at all those things. And if you heard me here, stop by and say, hi, that's great, man. That's great. You guys go uh, check out these conferences. That's a great, great way to, to meet people, to talk to people, to, to share It's It's the way I look at this entire thing, you know, whether it's, it's podcasters, YouTube, you know, any kind of content creators, authors, um, you know, anybody that's, that's into this realm and, and into talking to these things, it's like building a tribe, building a tribe and joining a tribe to where you can go to where like-minded people are coming together and nobody is going to look at you and say, nah, you're so crazy. True. You know, it's funny. I was having this conversation with Tim, my co-author with the footprints on, on the way back from a conference that we're both at together. And, you know, we're both musicians on top of everything else. And we're like, man, the people involved in the paranormal are a lot nicer as a general rule than, than your average rank and file musician, you know? Um, and I think part of that comes with the humility of knowing that we all have these, these, you know, for lack of a better term, crazy stories. And again, I haven't experienced what you've experienced. You haven't experienced what I've experienced. Let's just try to meet each other halfway and try to make some sense of this thing. Yeah, that's it, man. And keep building the tribe. Keep yep. building the tribe. Amen. Well, Joshua, I love it, dude. I really, really appreciate you coming on. I mean, I, I've, this this has been great. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm sure the audience is going to, too. This was a ton of fun. I really appreciate it. Well, I'm glad you had fun. We're definitely going to have to do it again. Absolutely. Bring- you just 
Yeah, just send up the bat signal and I'll be there. <laughs> well, I would like to have you on again anyway, because I really, really wanted to dive into your expertise and I'm we'll call it expertise there on the uh, mythology and the folklore of the Fae. Because well, I l- there are a lot of people who know more than I do, but I, yeah, thank you. Yeah, but I have your contact, not theirs. So <laughs> fair, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so that's what I'm going with. And like I said before, I've heard you speak on it before, and I found it extremely intriguing and informational and educational. And I learned a lot from it that I've used in a lot of the things that I look into. So well, with you. that, I would love to do an entire episode just on that mythology and folklore of the Fae because, sorry, I know I was getting ready to close this thing down. Now here we go. But you know, in this area that, that I'm in, especially the, the Appalachian mountains, you know, the Scots Irish blood runs thick here. You know, it, it runs really, really, really deep. And with that, you bring in a lot of that, that belief system. Yep. And on top of that, you know, I, I would argue that the North American little people folklore that closest, that, that most closely matches that of Western European fairy folklore is the Cherokee lore. I mean, it's, yeah, I look at it sometimes and I'm like, is this cultural contamination or is this actually what they thought? Cause it's a dead on match in a lot of respect. Exactly, man. And it all kind of comes together and blends to make that Appalachian folklore and that granny mm-hmm. mat, the granny magic and the granny yep. witchcraft and all that stuff. Gosh, I just love, I love looking in and hearing about all of this. We actually did an episode on that and talked a lot about, but you know, we're not, I mean, we're just a bunch of idiots sitting well, around talking let's, around. Let's, let's do part two. Let's do part two. <laughs> Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. We will. All right, guys, seriously, we'll, uh, we'll let you go on this time around. So, <laughs> Joshua, again, thanks for being on here. It was great having you. Folks, make sure you guys go check out Ecology of Souls, Volumes 1 and 2. Uh, buy them up. Look, at, look into it. Read it for yourself. It's great. And while you're at it, look at all of his other books as well. Uh, I've, been, I've been meaning to jump into his, his Bigfoot books with Timothy Renner. I think it's his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Where, the, where the Footprints End. that right? Yep. I've been meaning to uh to buy those in, but I'm telling you, my reading hours and minutes, seconds, they they're dwindling. I'm just getting busier and you. busier. Yeah, I feel you on that. But yeah, make sure you go check out these guys' books. He's he's a great writer. He does, you know, I, I really enjoy his work. And I know that I know that y'all will too. So be sure to check him out. But until next time, Hill Folk, we'll see y'all later.